The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our DC. Yes, sir. Good morning, Boston. How are you? Welcome to the Boston Podcast. This is Dave. And whether you're on your way down to a barbecue down the Cape or stuck in traffic on Route 2 or Route 3 or Route 93 or Route 95 or one of those godforsaken places, dude, it's cool because you're listening to the Boston Podcast, Boston's only independent daily podcast Monday through Friday that I know about. Okay? It's the only one I know about. If you know of one, I'm all ears. David at pod617.com, right here at the Boston Podcast Network, pod617.com, broadcasting here, well, recording here at our studios in Westwood, and uh, check us out on the web, and if you'd like your own podcast, let's talk, let's talk, there are plenty of buttons on the website for you to get in touch with us, pod617.com, end of plugs, at least for now, I make no promises about the rest of the show, but, um, but, uh, and uh, having trouble with the sound effects here today. You never know what's going to happen in the unpredictable world of podcasting, including our guest today, who's here to talk about, let's see, how can I properly plug this? Crime, marijuana, male enhancement products, and advertising and marketing troubles. He's a criminal lawyer, and I mean he's a criminal lawyer, not he's a criminal lawyer. He's hardly a criminal. He's an upstanding member of our society. He's a friend of mine. He's a good guy. Attorney Mark Josephs is here in studio. How are you, Mark? I'm good. And where, where I'm from, we say route, not root. <laughs> what did I say? Root. 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 Yeah, we say root. So where where is route? Where did you grow up that the route? I grew up in beautiful Chicago, Illinois. Ah, Chicago. There are uh, traces in your accent I pick up here and again. But did you have it surgically removed, or uh, we don't we don't have accents? <laughs> oh well, come on! Except sh- for the Bears guys. The, well, the Bears and you know uh, Dan Aykroyd and the Blues Brothers seem to fashion the Chicago accent, even though I think he's Canadian. It's the trouble with Canadians; they look like everybody else. That's why you can't trust them. Anyway, so. Um, Mark and I quickly ran down a few things to talk about in his practice. By the way, he is at the law offices of Mark L. Josephs, and if you want to find him on the web, you should, because he's got a brand new spiffy website, which properly showcases all the things that he does. MarkLJosephsLaw.com. MarkLJosephsLaw.com. If you want to email him, it's Mark.Josephs. By the way, that's Mark spelled with a K. That's a manly way to spell Mark. All you people with the C's, my old friend Mark Cohen, get it right. Just change it to a K. Everybody will be happier. Oh, my gosh. I don't like it when people ask. <laughs> yeah, but everybody must ask, right? Yes, K yeah. or a C. C? What, what's C? that? C? What is that? Yeah. yeah, it's like the fancy spelling. Uh, Mark, <laughs> sorry, Mark with a K dot Josephs at markljosephslaw.com is his email address. So check him out. He's um very interesting background, former... Department of Justice, former yes. pros, former federal prosecutor. Give us a brief thumbnail sketch of your your past. Sure, uh, I was uh, at the for fifteen years at the United States Department of Justice in Washington, 
first as a civil lawyer, and I spent the last 10 years as a federal prosecutor prosecuting white-collar crime. Wow. So he continues to work in this area in white-collar crime, defending people accused of some nasty stuff. We'll talk in a little bit about how your work crosses over into the world of cannabis, the ever-burgeoning world of cannabis, big business here. You were just telling me you just drove by a dispensary in uh, Brookline. Brookline that the line is out the door. People like their weed. <sighs> uh, it's, just very, it's just very interesting, the sea change. We might as well talk about this now, what the hell it's on my mind. The sea change in the amount of stigma attached to marijuana, I, I'm struck by it. I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily, but people's eyes are open now to the fact that cannabis can be used for all the medicinal purposes, for people suffering from things like Crohn disease or, Crohn's disease or PTSD, uh, Army veterans, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, you're, in your world, it's, it's more the crossover of the law and cannabis, which would be what sort of thing? Well, the law and cannabis on a state level is the, the FDA's involvement. And uh, uh, because in, uh, under federal law, uh, it's still legal. And it's right. still not legal, and that won't change under the current administration. It'll probably change in the next one. But the uh, uh, the FDA is involved always in cannabis because um, uh, they have regulatory power over things like CBD, and they don't really know what to do with it right now because everybody's using it, and the FDA yeah. is saying they shouldn't be. But people are ignoring the FDA, so the FDA needs to do something about it and become a little more flexible about it. And right now, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. So what's the upshot of that? So a dispensary opens in mass and is selling CBD oil in addition to cannabis products. And they say they're within the regulations of Massachusetts as yes. recently and perhaps hastily drawn up. I don't know. But, um, and, but the FDA can still come in. And put their foot down, or well, the FDA can come in because they say that um, CBD cannot be sold as part of a dietary supplement, okay. which is everything oh. else that's not an approved drug. And the reason for that is because CBD was became an ingredient in an approved drug last year, and anything that's an ingredient in a, in a drug that goes through the whole process at FDA of of uh, clinical studies. Uh, once it becomes an ingredient of a drug, it cannot be part of a dietary supplement that's sold. Okay. It, it needs anything it, it's in needs pre-approval from the FDA as part of the drug approval process. Mm -hmm. But everyone is ignoring that. Wow. So what about like the gummy bears that they're selling at the 7-Eleven that are <laughs> CBD gummy bears? Are those uh, above ground? Or? Technically, that is uh, the FDA is saying that is against the law. Really? Okay. But they're having a public meeting coming up in the next couple of months because they realize they have to address this. So your uh, expertise would involve representing someone because you've seen it from the other side. Yes. You're representing someone who might feel the jaws of the FDA. Yeah, so what the, F what the FDA does th is they, they send out some warning letters, which are enforcement actions mm -hmm. on a regulatory basis. And they did that a year ago to four companies that were making really extreme claims like this will cure cancer. So they took the low-hanging fruit and they said, look, we're doing something about this, mm -hmm. so you shouldn't be doing it. 
But I had a client recently that uh, started their own dietary supplement line with CBD in it. Mm -hmm. And I told them that, and I said, this is my legal advice is that if the FDA finds you, they can come down on you because they're saying it's against the law. But as long as you don't make any crazy claims, the FDA is not going to find you. Right, right. Yeah, it. you wonder where it is politically for the FDA. I have no idea who the, the higher-ups at the FDA are, but I imagine they've got to pick and choose what they want to make a point about, right? And it just it seems like public sentiment is, has shifted so radically to be accepting of C, you know, CBD oil is, I mean, I've tried it. It, it didn't do much for me, quite fr- frankly. It, it's what I would call a mild, um, a mild drug. It is a drug, right? It, it's so it, it, it's the part of cannabis that is non, uh, hallucinogenic. I don't know if that's exactly the right term, but in other words, if you ingest, uh, CBD, you're not going to get high. You're not going right. to start act, acting weird. What it's supposed to do is is soothe your nerves. It's supposed to help with anxiety and things like that. Yes, I don't and, know. A, yeah. and that that's it. But it's not a well. The FDA is saying well now it is a drug, but it's really people aren't selling it as a drug. They're selling it as a supplement over the counter. Yeah, and usually those types of things do not require FDA pre approval. But the FDA is saying in this instance because of this technicality and their law that it's part of a drug that's been approved, you cannot sell that ingredient as part of dietary supplements under FDA law. Mm-hmm. But they're, when they do something like call a public meeting, they realize that what they're doing isn't working and it's inconsistent with what the industry is doing. Right. So now they're going to have a public meeting where they're going to have various experts talk about what they should be doing. Mm, interesting. The saga continues. Uh, speaking of diet, the blurry line of dietary supplements and drugs, you're familiar with uh, Kratom or Kratom? I think there's a debate as to how it's pronounced. No, no I can see by your face now. No. So <laughs> that's cool. Um, there's a, it's, it's billed and sold as a uh, vitamin or a dietary supplement or some such thing. And it comes from some plant in some place, who knows, and it comes in powder. Um there's a debate raging. This could be a new uh, area of law for you if the Kratom people start getting hauled into court. Um, there was a, uh, you can buy it over the counter, not, I mean, you can't find it in CVS, but you can buy it online. And it's supposed to be a, like a milder, safer replacement for opioids. Like it's supposed to help with um, pain relief and anxiety. I've tried it, and you know, if you have a, a couple capsules, it, it just it might give you a sort of a mild calm feeling. If you have some of the stronger stuff that they offer, it can make you kind of uh, loopy. <laughs> it can so so it's it's just weird how um, and we don't have time to get into all of it, but at some point you got to draw a line between something that's sort of dangerous and needs to be regulated and something that is like eh, who cares? Well, the problem is is that. Um The statute that governs uh, FDA's regulation of dietary supplements was written by the industry Mm -hmm. um, about 25 years ago. And it's very industry friendly and it's very hard for FDA to ban any ingredients as dangerous. The only one they've ever been able to do is ephedra because the minor league pitcher uh, years ago during spring training took it. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know if he died or had some really serious health effects, but 
The FDA can't go after dietary supplements and ingredients that might be dangerous as easy as you'd think they should be able to because the dietary supplement wrote the statute. So the dietary supplement industry is really sort of the wild west mm. and because you could start selling dietary supplements tomorrow. No FDA approval required, no nothing. You could start tomorrow. So things like weight loss products, there's a lot of fraud there and there's a lot of fraud in things like male enhancement products. Oh, I smell a segue. Before we get there, because Mark worked on a case in Cincinnati that was very interesting, which he's going to tell us about in one moment. Just to finish the, just to close the loop on this, uh, this was in 2000, 2003, Baltimore Orioles uh, pitcher uh, Steve Beckler. Yeah. Um, took some ephedra, which is, uh, as CBS News reported in this old report that we're looking at, the herbal supplement that millions of people take for weight loss and as an energy booster. Now, ephedra, now meaning 2003, ephedra is implicated in the death of 23-year-old Steve Beckler, a prospective pitcher of the Baltimore Orioles. It is, I mean, have you ever heard of another death due to ephedra? It seems like... Um, Mm, um. Well, interestingly, I, I actually defended this ban by the FDA of ephedra in federal court. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, the FDA had banned the, the ingredient ephedra, and the dietary supplement industry sued the FDA, saying, you didn't meet the statutory requirements for banning something because they're so favorable to the industry. And mm -hmm. they really had, but I went out to Utah where uh, the – dietary supplement industry, one of the centers of that industry is in Utah. And I went to federal court in Utah in front of a federal district court judge. The arguments we had were so much better than the other side, mm -hmm. but because the industry is there, um, this judge ruled against us. And I lost. Right. And it took the United States of Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit to reverse that because everybody knew it was wrong. And the Tenth Circuit reversed and allowed the FDA to ban ephedra from any dietary supplements going forward. Wow. How about that? But it's the only ingredient that's ever been banned by the FDA that's a dietary supplement ingredient. Yeah, it seems kind of random. I mean, th this, and I, and as you note, this death of this baseball pitcher might have uh, caused the issue to explode. As, as I look back at this report, he took three ephedra pills on an empty stomach the day he collapsed. And along with other medical issues and the heat converged in a catastrophic event. So it's it sounds like he had plenty of other things going on. I mean, you know, it, you could have taken, I'm sure, a litany of drugs, including some over-the-counter ones, and had a horrible reaction to it. Anyway. Um, there were other problems. Some other yep. people, non-major okay. league pitchers, had problems with it. I don't know if anybody else died, but there were certain certainly some negative health effects associated with it elsewhere. Yeah, well, but, you know, if I have franks and beans out on an empty stomach, you know, a lot of negative effects from that as well. Yeah. I shouldn't joke, should I? <laughs> I shouldn't. Hi, everybody. I'm Chami DePerel. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Boston Podcast Network. How would you like your own podcast? The Boston Podcast Network can produce one for you, whether you're a lawyer, financial advisor, business owner, or really any kind of professional. You should have your voice heard through this exciting new medium. A good podcast is more powerful than traditional advertising. If a prospective client hears your podcast through their earbuds, you're already in their head. Literally, pod617.com will help you deliver a message and build relationships 
clients, and centers of influence will delight in being a guest on your show. Go to pod617.com to start planning. And in the meantime, listen to the great shows they've already produced. The Irreverent Bitchless Bride Podcast, the hilarious show known as Shawshanked, and the wild trip through the paranormal that is Monsterland. Be part of the pod revolution. Visit pod617.com. In pod, we trust. Let's move on. So you mentioned, and we've teased this now, so we need to deliver. You were involved in a fraud case, uh, prosecuting it. Now you're on the government side uh, earlier in your career, and you're prosecuting a company who produces uh, male enhancement drugs and is not advertising their wares on the level. Um, that's a broad stroke, but tell us what tell us what happened in that case. Yeah, this was a this was a big company in Cincinnati, Ohio, and they advertised often on TV at the time. This was in the early 2000s when the facts occurred. And it was a character on TV on the ads called Smiling Bob. And <laughs> Smiling Bob... Would you like to know why he's smiling? Right. Yeah. right. Well, yeah. they never said why he was smiling. Oh. And it actually won advertising awards because it was oh, so well Lord. done. Good Lord. But uh, what this uh, substance was supposed to do was to increase the let's say, vitality of men, but they also had a female enhancement product that was supposed to uh, do the same thing for women or at least increase their their sexual appetite. Right. And uh, so uh, the problem was, was that um, not that it didn't do anything, because it probably didn't, but it was the way they were selling it. And what they were doing was they would, somebody would sign up to buy it and they would get you, as this has happened to a lot of people, on a continuity program, they would keep charging your credit card and you couldn't get out of it. And then they would charge the credit card separately just to make some money. And uh, what happened was uh, people started returning all these products that they were getting on part of the continuity program. And the United States Postal Inspection Service found out about it and started investigating. And it wound up involving the FBI, the FDA, um, and a lot of different government agents. And the problem for um, the owner when these charges came around was he was eventually indicted in a 112-count indictment along with his buddy who was the in-house lawyer, his 75-year-old mother, and, s- and several family members who got involved in the business. And, uh, and the problem was for this gentleman was that at 50 bucks a pop in 2004, he sold $200 million worth of this stuff. Wow. So, so people bought a lot of it. And, uh, and, but several of the uh, people involved came in and cooperated with the government and mm-hmm. uh, testified against him, uh, even some family members during the trial. Uh, the owner of the company is a guy named Steve Warshak, and uh, he had gone through two sets of lawyers telling him he should plead guilty, and he he wouldn't do it. So he Mm. finally found lawyers from Boston, of all places, in front of a Cincinnati jury, which didn't work very well for them, but uh, they tried the case for him. And uh, the charges were a lot of things like mail and wire fraud, which each count is, it can go up to five years, and uh, the sentences really depend upon how much you sold and how much fraud there was. So because their sales numbers were so high, he was looking at a very long prison sentence if he lost. Wow. And our best test, our, our best witness, 
that is from the government side. I tried this case with a, a local federal prosecutor in Cincinnati, uh, and uh, the second in command pled guilty and cooperated. Mm. And the worst thing he did was um, the owner of the company told him to make up numbers as part of a customer survey that they wanted to use in advertising. So he took an Excel spreadsheet and just made up percentages of male increase in size. <laughs> and the percentages range from, from 15 to 33 percent. And the deep, the deep irony. It's it's not the first time that there's been a lie around the subject of male enhancement. Yes. By the way, before before I want you to continue, but we, but uh, we we found smiling Bob. I remember this guy. I remember smiling Bob. Let's listen to a little bit of the uh, radio. It's just thirty seconds. Let's listen. This is Bob. Bob is doing well, very well indeed. That's because not long ago, with just a quick phone call, Bob realized that he could have something better in his life. And what did he get? Why, a big boost of confidence, a little more self-esteem, and a very happy Mrs. at home. Oh boy. To learn more about Enzyte, contact your doctor or call one 877 Enzyte for a free brochure or visit Enzyte.com. Enzyte, the effective, reliable way to natural male enhancement. So you might remember that ad. It, it, it pictures a, a guy with a kind of maniacal smile on his face. It's a goofy ad, of course, but yeah, memorable. It clearly, the ad itself clearly worked, right? Yes, it did. It, it won <laughs> awards. The yeah. ad advertising won awards on Madison Avenue. It's crazy. Um, but I, to speed this up, so sure, go ahead. Uh, this person testified and talked about how he had made up the numbers on the spreadsheet, and they used it on their advertising going forward. Yep. So every time they use it on advertising, that's another counter of wire or mail fraud, wow. depending on how it's sent or whether it's by an email. And uh, they had some really bad emails. Um, and by another count, you, you mean it, it's akin to committing another, a crime every time every you do time it. Every time you right. do it. Yep. So the other interesting part of this trial was when you um, try to prove counts of mail and wire fraud at a trial, you have to have victims come in and testify. Mm -hmm. So we had, to, we had both men and women that uh, came in from other parts of the country to Cincinnati to testify that they had bought this stuff, and we had to ask them why and that they had bought the stuff and were defrauded. Well, this was a sort of self-selecting group of people who not only bought the stuff, but were willing to talk about it publicly. Right. And they all stayed right. in, in a hotel in downtown Cincinnati, and to say they partied hard was an understatement. Seriously? Uh, uh, two sets of That's couples yeah. hooked up, <laughs> and uh, one woman was so hungover the day she was supposed to testify that we sent her home. What? Because she was useless, she was so hungover. Well, what? How do you? Uh, uh, how do you explain that? Is it because these people were? I don't know. Uh, what? Is something about them fun because they are open-minded enough to use um, sexual enhancement drugs, and then and then, or they're just so uh, pissed off about the fact that it didn't work. They're in court. No, I don't know. No, I mean, they. They the the fact that they kindred spirits somehow the fact that they bought it at one bought it um, was one thing. In fact, the judge at the end of the trial said, "There's a lot more harm here. A lot of people would buy this stuff and not want to talk about it. Right. So a lot of people didn't come forward. Right. But these people not only came forward, but they volunteered to travel to Cincinnati, Ohio, to testify right. openly in federal court. Now, if 
somebody who's willing to do that about a male enhancement or a female enhancement <laughs> right. product certainly has a certain type of personality, very open-minded. I guess that's right, yep. So they're all in the same hotel. They all realize <laughs> they're there for the same thing, and they had a right. lot of fun. That's great. <laughs> well, and, uh, and then got the result that they would have hoped for, right? You know, what happened was we uh, um, uh, the jury came back. We had a very good jury. Uh, it was mostly women that turned red. Several of them turned red <laughs> some of the time. We had an 85-year-old senior federal judge who flew missions over the Pacific during World War II, mm-hmm. and he was flabbergasted by this whole case. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the jury came back and convicted on almost all the counts. We um, And the owner of the company initially uh, received 25 years in jail. It went up on appeal and there was an issue with that sentence because the judge hadn't explained it properly. And when it came back, the judge reduced it to 10. He has served uh, his 10 years, and people from the United States Attorney's Office, the, the Justice Department field office in Cincinnati, saw him recently at a Chris Rock concert, <laughs> um, the owner of the company, now that he's out of jail. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of an interesting place to see him. But, um, he wasn't selling any pills no, at the he, time, was he? Yeah. And he, served, he wound up serving eight and a half or nine years. Would you say that this case it was high profile? Would you say it changed it was the very, game for for going forward that these these uh, drug companies need to be more on the level? Or? I don't know if it really changed anything. It was it was in the Cincinnati Enquirer every day because it was a big local company by then because their sales yeah. were so high they had a lot of employees mm-hmm. and when it went on a business the the federal government came in and and raided the place and took out everything over a two-day period and that was in the news mm-hmm. and all these people lost their jobs and and also because of the tawdry subject we were in the Cincinnati Enquirer every day of the trial and it lasted wow. eight weeks mm-hmm. because there was so much evidence and they they also obstructed um, the Food and Drug Administration came in there and how they got caught was they hid things from the FDA that they shouldn't have been doing in the first place they didn't need to but they were trying to use some old dietary supplements again to sell them. And uh, it, was, it was a classic case of the cover-up is how you get caught. Yes, yes. Remember that. We should learn the lesson. There's a reason why we put gate at the end of every scandal, people. It's because of uh, something that happened in Washington. If you haven't seen All the President's Men, go back and watch it. It's a pretty good movie. Thank you, Mark Josephs, and thank you for sharing that tale. I realize we didn't even uh, scratch the surface of probably things you could told us around that. But um, uh, I'm sorry I wasn't there for the big um, federal court party that was held by all of your witnesses, but I'm glad they had such a, a blast. Great story. Mark Josephs, Attorney Mark Josephs, criminal law, cannabis law, advertising and, and marketing uh, regulations law, which we didn't even get into. We might have to have him back on the show soon. And you can find him at markljosephslaw.com. Mark with a K, ljosephslaw.com. Did you enjoy yourself, my friend? I loved it. Thanks so much, Dave. Excellent. He's got that radio voice, and uh, so we got to stick together. What can I tell you? Thanks for listening to the Boston Podcast, all past episodes at pod617.com backslash Boston, to be more specific. If you want your own podcast, this is the place. You came to the right place. Our studios in Westwood produce radio quality shows. You can find out more about how to get involved at pod617.com. And if you like this podcast, please share it with a friend or a colleague. On behalf of attorney Mark Josephs, 
I'm David Yaz. I'm just a guy from Boston. But if you're not from Boston, you must be the other guy.